WCHD3 Detroit, KMPS HD3 Seattle, WBMX HD3 Boston. And on AOL Radio and Yahoo Launchcast. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248 545 Soul. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Is humanity's folklore a more accurate reflection of reality than what we do and believe in our daily lives? What is the Rosenthal effect? Could life be a computer simulation? Hello there and welcome to the 332nd edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And those head-scratching questions came from my co-host and partner in the paranormal, my dad. Well, we're pleased uh, this evening to welcome back British author Gary Osborne, who has been a writer on esoteric traditions and mysticism for over 15 years. He has written or co-written articles on ancient mysteries, esoteric traditions, alchemy, mysticism, ancient shamanism, and the nature of reality and human consciousness. He is best known for his neutral point theory and what he calls the midpoint or balance point between opposites. Hmm. Gary has co-authored two books with Philip Gardner, The Serpent Grail in 2005 and The Shining Ones in 2006. Gary and friend Scott Crichton co-authored the new book, The Giza Prophecy. Currently, he is working on a series of articles for Mindscape magazine and New Dawn magazine. Gary's last two appearances on this show were related to his work with our good friends Jim Penniston and John Burroughs, eyewitnesses to the Rendlesham Forest UFO incidents of 1980. Complete results of Gary's work on them on the now famous uh, on the now famous binary code will be detailed in an upcoming book. Gary and his family live in North Devon in England. Gary Osborne, welcome back to Behind the Paranormal. Hello, Ben. Hello, Paul. Hello, Gary. Nice to be back. And Great it's to have good. You. And it's good to have you back. So let's uh, start with a really broad question here. So, Gary, what is uh, your work all about? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> where do I begin? Um, you tell us. <laughs> As I said, it was a broad question. <laughs> yeah, it is a broad question. Well, I've, I've, I've been a broad writer, actually, on uh, loads of different subjects. Um, perhaps I should uh, be really start where it all began. Um, as, I, as I said in the previous show um, we did, um, these days I'm more of a symbolist, I suppose, in that for many years now people have asked me to look at all kinds of things that contain encoded information. I mean, that's mostly what I'm working on these days. Um, and a lot of the time I'm able to perceive the right interpretations while at the same time gaining more insights into the symbolism. Um, but I think this ability is perhaps the result of a series of anomalous experiences my brother Paul and I had back in the late 80s to early 90s, um, culminating in what we refer to as the core experience. His in 1991 and mine in 93. Um, yeah, anyway, it was in 1988 that my brother began experimenting with the hypnagogic state. Um, basically, he had been interested in a book I was reading at the time, um, Beyond the Occult by Colin Wilson. And, uh, yeah, and, and he asked to borrow it. It wasn't like Paul to want to read a book like this, as he was often sceptical about such things. Um, anyway, again, he began experimenting with the hypnagogic by trying to remain awake just at the point of falling asleep. Um, as a result, he got better at this and uh, began having strange hypnagogic state experiences and lucid dreams, uh, which eventually led to a few brief out-of-the-body experiences. Um, he also began experiencing synchronicities and other strange effects during the daytime. Anyway, all this strange activity then culminated in what he calls, what he now calls a core experience, which happened one afternoon in June '91. Paul later described it as a mystical awakening experience and it immediately changed his life and really changed the lives of those of us around him who were also affected by it. Um, because I experienced the same thing some two years later, I can attest to the fact that no words can describe it fully or do it justice. Um, Paul was totally bewildered by what had happened to him and he would talk about it constantly to anyone who would listen um, at that time. Um, Anyway, Paul said that what he experienced was um, an awesome energy, a truly powerful energy that moved up and down his spine, accompanied by a loud roaring noise and tingling effects in his body. Um, he sometimes felt the effects of this energy through his arms and hands. In fact, many of us in the, the immediate circle of family and friends witnessed this energy as he would demonstrate it by placing his fingers close to someone else's, and that person would immediately feel this energy travelling up their own arm. 
the kind of powerful. Happened to me. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of powerful tingling effect. Yeah. I mean, I, I experienced this loads of times uh, with Paul. You know, um, it wasn't just pins and needles. It, you know, it was, you could actually feel this energy. Um, anyway, as time went on, he was able to make a, even compass needles move without touching them, just by clenching his fist over over the uh, compass. Many of us witnessed this. I mean, people in the family and friends, and the demonstration would quickly drain him and make him feel exhausted. Anyway, we worked together in the family printing and graphics business at the time. Um, and one morning, Paul came in looking really dreadful, obviously tired through lack of sleep, and said that he had had that energy thing again last night. Um, it would wake him up, usually. And he, he said that there was something powerfully electrical about it, as if he had been plugged into the mains. He was concerned because he said that in his mind's eye, he saw a blue spark above his body and had the feeling that this energy phenomenon was somehow linked to SHC, spontaneous human combustion. Oh dear. <laughs> as, it, as it was that powerful. Um, it was later that we discovered Paul's hunch about that was correct and that various writers had made the same connection. But really? I mean, I'll, I'll get on to the experience in a minute. Um, yeah, we were also both in the same band at that time. We were in a rock band, uh, playing gigs in and around London. Uh, various pubs and clubs, and uh, we had regular bookings. Um, Paul was our cable player, and he, he was often worried that the energy from his hands could actually short-circuit the electrics in the keyboard and render it useless. In fact, there were a few occasions when this actually happened. <laughs> wow. Uh, and, <laughs> Paul and I also received uh, a series of strange phone calls at the same time. Our grandfather had died, and... Um, Paul and his family had also witnessed the UFO over Clapham Common in London while travelling to see our parents in Surrey. Um, so all this was going on at that time. Um, anyway, Paul was looking for answers as to what, what was happening to him. And he visited the College of Psychic Studies. Um, a psychic named Trudy Brown then recommended that Paul contact a guy named Jeff Boltwood, who was another psychic, and who also knew Yuri Geller, and ran a group consisting of people like Paul, who had uh, an awakening experience and were trying to come to terms with all the effects of it. Um, after a few weeks, and because Paul had been reading a vast amount of paranormal literature at this time to figure out what had been happening to him, he, he noticed similar aspects of what he had experienced in um, his various UFO abduction accounts. Although he had no recollection of anything alien, I mean, Paul left Boltwood's group and decided to contact a few UFO researchers. First, he wrote a letter to Jenny Randalls and didn't respond. He then phoned ex-policeman and UFO experience and researcher uh, Tony Dodd and set a meeting, meeting with Tony, but actually cancelled it due to ill health. Uh, that's Tony who had to cancel it. Um, then Paul contacted and met with UFO author John Spencer, who was the chairman of Bufora at the time, I think, and they discussed Paul's experiences and Paul's insights. And although Spencer was interested in Paul's fears about his own experiences, this meeting didn't really lead to anything. So, anyway, Paul became disillusioned uh, with researchers and thought he would do the research himself. So, Paul used to record everything on a cassette recorder, mostly accounts of his experiences, which he asked me to transcribe. Uh, we also dis discussed these things on a daily basis. Anyway, it was around this time, between 92 and 93, that I, too, began to experience lucid dreams and also had a few out-of-body experiences, which had shocked me at the time. I was also experiencing many synchronicities and um, was having insights of my own. Um, and in November 93, I too had a similar mystical awakening, like Paul's core experience in 91. And um, after that information would just come to me, and I would be making connections between things. Um, that was a strange period in, in my own life. And I've documented it all. Um, and I intend to maybe write a book about it one day. But anyway, I remember while being at work during the day, often having to write or draw on anything, a piece of paper, card, a cigarette box or anything, to record the insights that would be coming to me on a daily basis. I would then get home and transfer everything on a word processor on my computer, which was in a four megabyte RAM machine. <laughs> um, I, I had uh, floppy disks of this stuff everywhere, and I remember oh, printing it goes out, back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember printing out everything I'd written at that time, and the results being like a five-inch stack of paper. Was, I mean, the stuff I was writing was basically metaphysical ideas about cycles and frequencies and vortex theories regarding the formation of matter. I mean, all these things. Um, I hadn't read any physics books. Uh, it was just all insights that were just coming to me. I mean, all these concepts are common now, especially in the New Age literature, but not so much at the time. Um, 
this wasn't based on anything I read. It was mostly formed from my own insights, as I said, and the ideas and also the discussions Paul and I were having at the time. So, you know, this had me think that perhaps I was channeling something and I felt really uncomfortable with that idea. But um, that's what was going on at the time. I mean, friends of mine couldn't understand what was happening um, with me at the time. I remember on occasion, <laughs> I remember actually on occasion, two two friends of mine calling out to see if I was going out for a drink because, you know, I was a bit of a social animal and, and I would say, yeah, I'll be ready in a minute. I'll just need to finish this. And I'll be typing out all this stuff on the computer. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it got to the point where they would be pacing up and down behind me. And um, every now and again, looking over my shoulder, saying, what, what, what's all that? You know. Um, well, I would then turn to them and say, look, can I meet you down the pub later? And, and then they would shrug their shoulders and say, yeah, OK, we'll get a drink in for you. And, uh, and you know what? I wouldn't turn up and I'd still be typing away until two or three in the morning. I mean, I remember having the most dreadful headaches from it all sometimes, and then I'd repeat it all again the next day. I mean, that that's a phenomenon in itself, the amount of written work I produced based on things and ideas that would just come to me at that time. Even at that early time, I was developing what I now call a neutral point theory, elements of which I introduced into the first two books I later wrote with Philip Gardner. Uh-huh. Anyway, that almost obsessive behaviour with wanting to get it all off, all out and off my chest went on and off for a few years, and it actually helped destroy the relationship I was in at the time. As my partner, um, she, couldn't, she couldn't really understand what was going on with me. However, I can always see the funny side, and I was always able to adapt to any situation. And so as regards hanging out with my friends and the people I grew up with, I basically kept this side of my life, not secret, but kind of under control. Quickly learned that you just didn't talk about it unless someone was interested and on the odd occasions when I would often get teased about it by my friends, I, would, I just found it best just to laugh along with them, you know. Anyway, it was in the light of these recent experiences that Paul and I recalled having had strange, unexplained explained anomalous experiences in our childhood, but had not talked to each other about them, well, not until these recent events began. So um, it was during my own research that I noted that, like Paul and I, certain people had been having these spiritual awakening experiences in the West and since the late 50s. Anyway, this is where it gets interesting. What we found eventually led us to the Enlightenment uh, phenomenon or experience known in India as Kundalini, which centers on the spinal column and the seven chakras. Um, The symptoms we experienced were similar with what had been described in the ancient Hindu texts and also the more recent literature about the subject found in the New Age publications. Again, before we began investigating these experiences to find answers as to what had happened to us, we had no idea what these experiences were and were quite ignorant about such things. I mean, after we'd been brought up in a rough, down-to-earth working-class environment in Peckham, London, where the people there never entertained these sort of things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but our, our ignorance at the time wasn't really that surprising when you discover that the term Kundalini is never mentioned in the mainstream media. And aside from the New Age literature on it, which mostly presents a watered-down version of it... Gary, I'll have to to stop you there because we have a break uh, coming up. We'll continue with that in just a moment. Uh, You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio, newskyradio.com. Our guest, Gary Osborne, and ourselves, of course, will return very shortly. So stay with us for a continuation of our conversation on mysticism. So what are you thankful for? The I'm Thankful Network explores the positive. Join host Sue Lundquist Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time. Empowering women, empowering lives. The I'm Thankful Network on New Sky Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, the Dr. Pat Show is alive with a distinctive blend of interviews with a mix of uplifting and intelligent news, educational, and practical information. Get in the know. Following Dr. Pat, join host Laura Lee for Laura Lee's Spirit Salon. Contact your dearly departed spirit guides and angels to find answers, closure, guidance, insight, revelations, and prophecy regarding matters of the heart by contacting the other side through acclaimed medium Laura Lee. You are not alone. Batter up. Life's a game. Win. Call and get advice from today's top coaches that are here to help you win the game of life. The Coach Me Network is live starting at 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. New Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons. No Boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. Here comes the sun, I say, it's all right. Discover your spirit. 
Listen to Spirit Guide Radio, where leading spiritual experts serve as guides to nourish your soul every weeknight from 11 p.m. Eastern Time. Heidi Hollis, The Outlander, The Zodiac Girls with Solaris, Laura, and Kira. Ask Dr. Doug with Dr. Doug Lehrer. Life by Number with Celeste, Laura Lee's Spirit Salon, and your Reiki journey with Heidi Harrison. Spiritually speaking, radio for the soul. Spirit Guide Radio on New Sky Radio. New horizons, no boundaries. CBS Radio, The Sky, and NewSkyRadio.com are presented only for entertainment purposes, and advice should not be used in place of appropriate medical, financial, legal, or other professional counsel. Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOUL. NewSkyRadio.com. And we're back with our fascinating guest, and the man is quickly becoming a good friend, certainly Gary Osborne, a British author and mysticism expert. Gary, you, uh, when we took the break, you were ta- you beginning to talk about the chakras and the kundalini, and please continue. Yeah, um, as I was saying, that um, the term kundalini is never really mentioned in the mainstream media, and that aside from the New Age literature on it, which mostly presents a watered-down version, of it, the whole subject is virtually taboo. You you will never hear it mentioned on, or discussed on TV, especially any of the mainstream terrestrial channels, and you'd be hard pressed to find it actually being mentioned or discussed on the radio. Um, even though this experience is universal and has been described as being beyond the religious impulse of man throughout history. Um, anyway, we quickly found that the ancient snake or serpent imagery found all all over the world, associated with wisdom and attributed to the gods. For example, the Naga cobras of ancient India, uh-huh. is, is related to this energy phenomenon known as Kundalini. S- simply, the snake or serpent symbolizes the serpentine waves of energy associated with the nerve channels or energy meridians in the body that spiral around the chakra vortices in the spine. So the energy, once aroused, ascends the body in the form of like twin serpent waves, one positive and one neutral, uh, sorry, one positive and one negative, crossing each other and cancelling out or neutralizing at each chakra level as they make their way to the top of the head, where they unite in the climactic internal fusion of enlightenment. So what we have is basically a standing wave um, diagram with the Kundalini system, or Kundalini chakra system. Uh, the, ancient, the ancient symbol of the caduceus, also used in the medical profession, is an illustration of the same standing wave system in the body, said to be invisible to the senses at the ethereal level. Anyway... The experience is different for each person, but often one will feel, at first, a coarse vibration of energy rising from the feet, which slowly spreads and ascends the body. The energy will then flow up and down the spine, gaining frequency and becoming more refined in its vibration until suddenly the energy explodes within the centre of the head, experiences a bright white light. Um, So, I mean, this is what my brother and I um, experienced. The experience is in 91, as I said, and I experienced mine in 93. Um, so, although this description is basic, no words could really describe it or do this experience justice. It is a powerful, awesome thing to experience and behold. Afterwards, the individual will feel reborn with a new, revitalized energy and a different, more, I suppose, holistic perspective on things. Then, in the days following, the flood of information and insights will follow, which allows the person to make deep connections between things. There is then a hunger for knowledge, and the individual will read anything and everything. So, in essence, the person is gathering up the information and knowledge that he or she saw or experienced all at once in that initial initial alignment experience. Anyway, some of the insights and connections I've made over the years, and as a result of my own initial experience of this energy phenomenon, later made their way into the first two books I've co-authored with Philip Gardner, um, The Serpent Ground and Shining Ones. Um, so, yeah, I mean, going back to the late 60s and early 70s when I was when I was at school, I mean, even at that time, I guess I was into the culture thing, but more following the rock musicians of the time, you know, like people like Andrew X3, Deep Purple, King Crimson and other rock bands, uh, other bands at that time. I didn't know then that some of these bands, especially the experimental prog rock bands of that era, had um, references or allusions in their lyrics to this rare experience of phenomenon known as Kundalini, amongst the more creative people of society. You know, this, this was the thing. Um, as if it facilitated, what, as one's experience of it was, you know, by hallucinogenic, 
hallucinogenic drugs and the occult revival, all of which were being experimented with at that time, and which appears to have triggered many people's experience of this phenomenon from the 50s and 60s onwards. Um, I mean, a book could be written about that subject alone as, as to how this experience, the occult system associated with it and all its symptomatic aspects and effects, um, which were being expressed in the music and lyrics of that time, um, by bands like King Crimson and Early Genesis, etc. just to name a few. Meaning that a few of the members of these bands had also had this experience, which was seen as a kind of spiritual awakening. So, I mean, I guess that such expressions had an effect on those who listened to this music and at a subliminal level, perhaps triggering the same experiences at some point in their lives. Mm. Again, a, again, a book could be written about this alone, and perhaps that's a future project for me. I'm, I mean, I'm looking into that in a moment. But I could see that, um, as I say, a lot of those early bands and that, the, the, you look at their lyrics, they're kind of making reference to this, to this experience. Um, yeah, so anyway, as I began delving into my research on this energy phenomenon, uh, I noted that the symptoms of it always manifested in various paranormal accounts, and this includes abduction accounts. For example, the books by uh, the late John Mack and Whitley Strieber contain sure. references to this phenomenon in the accounts, and more importantly, it seems that being in the hypnagogic state or experimenting with it can trigger this enlightenment experience known as Kundalini. Um, can, I, can I just is that why in a given, well, let's just say UFO experience, some people may see the object, some people may not? Um, yeah, I mean... The, some the people are having the hypnagogic experience and others are not. Yeah, well, you find that a lot of these experiences are actually due to being in the hypnagogic state. Right. It seems to be the, I mean, Colin Wilson... Um, he, he wrote that the hypnagogic state and hypnagogia may be the open sesame to the whole field of the paranormal. Mm -hmm. um, so hypnagogia is, a, is basically a third state or third zone of consciousness. Like it's like the real twilight zone between waking day and waking day light and sleeping night darkness. You know, mm -hmm. and it's both these states and together, uh, but neither. You know, being paradoxical and again somewhat akin to neutrality. Um, you know where you've got the opposites like positive and negative on either side and, and this it's kind of like neutrality in the centre. Sure. Um, where they both are united or fused as, as one thing. Um, so this state could uh, therefore represent that point in all the cycles from the uh, microcosm to the macrocosm. You know, like when I talk about cycles, I'm talking about, you know, like a sine wave where it crosses from a positive phase to a negative phase. Sure. Yeah. But it goes through a point. Um, and there's two points in the cycle. Um, so between waking and sleeping, you have the hypnagogic, where you, you fall into the sleeping side of the cycle, and you have the hypnopompic, where you wake up. Mm -hmm. So those two points in the cycle, um, I, found, I later found that the ancients were always alluding to those two points in the cycle, the end beginning point and the halfway point. Um, you know, that, that, that speaks volumes because um, that seems to be the answer to paranormal mystical experience, uh, the hypnagogic state, um, and also those two points in the cycle, which is why cycles um, of nature and that was so important to the ancients, you know? Well, one of the, uh, I'm thinking of a case that we're working on right now where uh, I just received a report yesterday that, that the woman heard footsteps in over her head in the upstairs part of the house went and looked up the stairs, and a, a gray, faceless figure was looking down at her, presumably, and almost it looked, looked as though it was sort of dressed in rags, and we've heard of these things before many times, but uh, w would she have been in a, in a hypnagogic state, uh, unbeknown to her own consciousness, so to speak? I, w I would say, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, I think the hypnagogic state is, is the state you're in. You know, they call it the, um, I think... It was um, Jenny Randall's who actually called it the Oz Factor. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, 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 does, it does make, uh, make sense. I think back over, over many yeah. years of, of seeing these things myself and, and thinking of that sort of state. One question people might ask, though, Gary, is that, um, and I'm thinking, too, of, of Dr. Michael Persinger. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, uh, Canadian yeah, researcher, who's yeah. Been, yeah, been on the show. And he... And we we attempted to, we were planning to blow him out of the water <laughs> with the question uh, just because something may be a temporal lobe experience as someone said does that mean it's not real and we believe it has no bearing on the reality then of course it's real uh, what would be your response to that is 
uh, how real are these things, and what do we mean, really mean by reality? Well, I would, I would agree with what, I mean, your intuition on this. I mean, that's my intuition as well, that um, it's actually generating the experience, and it's a real experience. Yeah. Um, because, because, it can, because they can uh, replicate that experience by, by using this contraction, it doesn't mean to say that the experiences are not real. Exactly. You know, it, it, it facilitates the experience. It's something acting on the, on the, the lobes of the brain. Perhaps open the door, as, as they might say. Yeah, I mean, you sh I mean you've heard of Hemisync. I mean, Robert Monroe, sure. the, the famous out-of-body experiencer, um, he, he created this device, Hemisync, where mm -hmm. the frequencies of the two sides of the brain have kind of become synchronized and leading, in, leading the person to the hypnagogic, hypnagogic state. Um, and they have all kinds of strange experiences, out-of-body experiences. Um, so really, I think person does... Um, Contraction, the uh, what's it? He calls it the. Uh, it's a kind of like a cycle helmet, isn't it? No, uh, the, uh, the the God helmet. Yeah, the God helmet. Yeah, the God yeah. helmet. Um, they get a kick out of that. It's, basic, it's basically work. It's basically working in the same kind of. Well, I think it's the same way, really, in the same way. Well, certainly um, a pleasure to experience. experience. Yeah, he said. He said the uh, the. Uh, subjects would often come back and want to try. It was such a pleasant experience they would want to try it again. Yeah, all the time. So, uh, but of course, the uh, the entire realm. Uh, I, I think. I think again, you you may be onto something. A certain amount of the, the hypnagogic experience may be innate in virtually all of us. I was talking to someone today who said uh, his family was was experiencing these things all around him, but he didn't experience anything. You know, apparitions and various uh, in, in the the quote unquote ghost situation that, that was going on in their house. But uh, perhaps he was not uh, tuned in hypnagogically and everyone else was yeah i mean in cole, cole young i mean he believed that there existed a realm of being between the physical sure. and the psychical yeah. uh what is called the third reality located between what he said the earthly mundane and the completely abstract world of concepts um although again not acknowledging any connection with the hypnagogic state psychologist stanislav groff calls this third state or in between zone the holotropic realm mm. Um, so, you know, you, you find it in the literature um, that there is this in-between state, kind of balance point, and that, that's really, I mean, it's, it was from my insights into the hypnagogic state that I further developed what I call the neutral point theory of consciousness, and this well, is something sure. well, I've been applying to, yeah. Yeah, very true. Also, uh, part of my own experience from many years ago was, was uh, doing uh, graduate studies in uh, abnormal psychology and also uh, pastoral studies for preparation for the priesthood and, and we're doing at the same time research in the paranormal yeah. and encountering uh, many uh, patients in psychiatric hospitals so when i mentioned this on the air a number of times who uh, were have been diagnosed schizophrenic but were having these what you could certainly define as hypnagogic experiences sometimes very beautiful ones yeah uh, so and, and i uh, i got the idea that perhaps they are uh, able to see into through doors and into worlds that really are there but that we so-called normal people cannot Access. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's yeah. how I see it. Yeah. So, well, we're coming up on a break, uh, but I'd like to come back, and if uh, Ed, certainly you can continue as, as you wish, Gary, but uh, I, with Ben's uh, experience as a, um, a shaman in training, so to speak, and his work with a, a very experienced Aztec shaman, uh, perhaps uh, you two could talk a bit about the shamanic experience and, and how that might, uh, might work and uh, get us going yeah. kind of in that direction as well. Okay, very good. Well, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS News Sky Radio and NewSkyRadio.com. Be right back with our fascinating guest, Gary Osborne. So stay with us. Take CBS Radio to Sky with you wherever you go. Be sure to download the Radio.com app today from your mobile marketplace. And when you really want to know more, 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 be sure to visit NewSkyRadio.com. Get in deep with exclusive articles and Sky News. Get your weekly horoscope and the inside scoop on host events. Radio.com and NewSkyRadio.com. Stay connected.
CBS Radio's The Scar. Back to Behind the Paranormal. With Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOLVE. New SkyRadio.com. Believe. Welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. And today we have a very fascinating guest, Gary Osborne. And we were talking about all these crazy spiritual things. But right now we're going to move into something that I'm a little more uh, familiar with. Well, not familiar with. Well, I'm familiar with everything, but we're going to talk a little bit about um, a shaman, a shamanism point of view on these sort of things. Now, Gary, I myself, having dealt and spoken with uh, many people experienced in this field of shamanism, that the physical effects are extremely intense to the point where someone would get sick to their stomach or possibly even regurgitate if things are like say someone's doing like a healing or whatever and the energy is just so powerful they just physically just get sick yeah, i managed so to get her i actually managed to get around that myself but how do you feel about that well i, I think what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger i think that's the whole kind of um attitude or the whole belief um behind shamanic um experience um uh, i think you have to go through some kind of um ritual in yourself I mean I mean they call it self-healing don't they I mean um, I mean I'm not being ashamed in myself I mean I wouldn't really know but uh, you well, can see the, 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 the ordeal they go through is is kind of it's self um, healing um, the psyche um, so, yeah, as I said, with what doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Yeah. And I think, yeah, to go through the night, what they call the dark night of the soul. And I, well, St. John of the Ladder, yeah. Um, well, it's interesting that um, the particular shaman whom I, – I don't know. I haven't had an awful lot of experience with it. I've known quite a few in different parts of the world, and I've uh, – a lot, a lot of our multiverse ideas have come from conversations with shaman uh, from – my past experience and, and, yeah. and also our own experience, but uh, it was interesting that, that I've seen them in action 
and there have been a lot of physical effects when they have been going about their work, as some, some many of them will describe, where they'll go into the other world and do this for the for the tribe or for this person, uh, yeah. or or in the case of of uh, Ben's mentor, who was an Aztec shaman of full blood, uh, he he was helping deal with a, a what we refer to as a parasitical entity, transdimensional entity, and he he came out with claw marks all over his body, but he didn't remember the experience, and he had uh, there were very various physical effects. Now, now Ben avoids that as he'll take yeah. by being a vegetarian. Because in this part of the world, of course, we're dealing mostly with a Native American tradition, and a large part of their diet uh, usually is meat. And uh, if you get away from the meat, you don't have the, a lot of the physical effects, which is, I found very interesting. What, what, what say you on all that? Um, well, I was going to say, um, to, to, be, to heal other people, you have to heal yourself. And that's, that's the basic tenet of shamanism, isn't it, really? Yeah, I guess so. Um, um, yeah, I mean, we were talking about the hypnagogic state. And as, as I said, I, I think that is what the uh, shamanic trance state is. Well, you uh, refer to the sleepless sleep of shamans. Is that what you're getting into now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing about shamanism is a very complex subject. Um, uh, <laughs> I mean, I did try researching into it. Um, to, for, for the uh, Shiny Ones book, because that's what the book was actually about, shamanism. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's it's so uh, such a complex subject, and um, really, you do have to talk to sh- shamans to, to actually gather that knowledge, to, to just grasp what it is to be a shaman, you know, okay. what, they have to, what they have to go through. And I, I yeah. think, um, in a way, the experiences that people are having now with these awakening experiences, the same kind of thing, really, but not going through the ordeal that the shaman goes through, you know? Right. Going into his dark side um, and emerging, uh, being reborn again, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was going to go on to say that about the traumatic, uh, sorry, the, the shamanic trance state sure. um, of the ancient, I mean, the ancient Egyptians, as I said, their, their religion, their mysticism, actually based on the shamanic experience. Um, and uh, have you ever heard of the uh, the, the um, Phrase uh, the horizon opens like a door. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean Horus, uh, the god Horus. Um, he was given the the, the names um, Horus in the horizon, Horus of the two horizons. Well, the sun on the horizon is neither up nor down. Um, as you know, the, the sun makes its it, it rises in the east, crosses the sky, sets in the west. Okay. So you, you have a cycle, a daily cycle. But the point where the sun is neither up nor down on the horizon is, again, those two points in the cycle. So it's like the hypno- it kind of expresses the hypnagogic state, you know, the mm-hmm. cycle, you know, the waking-sleeping cycle. Yes, everything uh, reflects everything else, and that's the fractal nature of reality, I suppose, yeah, even, so, even in the spiritual life. Yeah, so Horus in the horizon, Horus of the two horizons would mean... The shaman in hypnagogic state. That's how I okay. said it. Because right. they use the sun as, as a kind of um, a symbol for that point in the uh, cycle. Yeah. Okay, uh, Gary, before we burn up the hour, which we will with, with fascinating conversationalists like yourself, uh, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about your book that's just coming out now. Is that correct? Yeah, um, yeah. So tell about that before, because I don't want to get going and then not, not have you have a chance to mention that. So, uh, yeah, it's been published by uh, Inner Traditions. Um, what the book's about? Uh, I mean, I met with Scott in 2006. Uh, we used to uh, write on the uh, Graham Hancock website. You know, we was uh, just testing our theories on there, really, and that's how we met. Um, essentially, the book presents the hypothesis that a series of Catastrophic, catastrophic events that have occurred in the past associated with dramatic, dramatic pole shifts. Sorry, I'm, oh, my words here. Um, actually, I need a drink of water. I think. <laughs> no, no, that's perfectly okay. And you're referring to Scott Leighton, your um, yeah co-author, yeah. Yeah, and that this information is encoded in the Great Pyramid and in the layout of the Giza monuments. Um, Scott Crichton and I present our discovery that the Giza monuments encode a timeline that it is essentially a clock that marks the cycle of procession in which these catastrophes occur and reoccur. 
Uh, in fact, we see precession, which depends on the tilt of the Earth's axis, as being a post-cataclysmic phenomenon, in that we are being told that sometime in the far distant past, something may have caused the axis to tilt from what was seen to be its natural upright position to the tilt obliquity of 23.5 degrees, which it is today. That's, uh, yeah, that's been coming up with a lot of uh, fear. Parent, parents with, with frightened children have been writing in about all this. Yeah, um, and it's possible that similar catastrophes have been happening ever since, in that the Earth's celestial pole and axis of rotation has gone through a series of shifts ever since, with the well, axis being at different angles of, of obliquity. You know. All right, and uh, you can see where, where, where memories of this would be preserved, racial memories of this would be preserved not only in our psyches, so to speak, but in our traditions and in our mysticism. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I made the connection. Um, I was looking at the Jed column, you know, the ancient Egyptian Jed column? You, you, you know that? No, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that. The word Jed is uh, B, B-J-E-D. Um, well, the ancient Egyptian... Oh, that, okay. Yeah, right. yeah, that's it, yeah. All right. The ancient Egyptian ceremony known as the Raising of the Jed Pillar um, has long been considered a festival associated with fertility and rebirth or rather resurrection and renewal. Um, I mean, I, I was looking at, into the Jed column um, from the in, the in the context of the Kundalini experience, you know, the, the spinal column, mm-hmm. uh, because it's supposed to be the backbone of the god Osiris. Um, but there's some really interesting and curious connections that stem from this ancient ritual. In this ceremony, the Jed column or pillar is leaning at an angle, and the purpose of the ceremony is to raise the Jed upright. So Egyptian depictions of the Jed pillar, especially at the temple of Abydos and at Dendera, show that it is leaning at the tilt angle of the earth, around 23 degrees. Um, so that would be associated with the Earth's axis. Um, there's a wall relief from the Temple of Abydos where we see the Jed tilt at 23 degrees and being raised up by the Pharaoh Seti I with the help of his the sister and consort of Osiris, the goddess Isis. Yeah. And in the next image, we see the Jed column has been raised upright. Um, but, you know, geophysicists tell us that if the Earth was vertically upright, there would be no cycle of the seasons. In fact, the Earth at certain latitudes would enjoy a continual springtime. There would be no winter season where everything stops growing, you know, suggesting a kind of deathly intermission in the annual cycle. So instead, everything would continue to grow in abundance all year round, and fertility would be at an all-time high. So everything on the Earth, again, at certain latitudes, if the Earth was upright, would be thriving in a kind of Garden of Eden paradise. Yeah. However... The reality for us today is that the Earth is tilted some 23.5 degrees in respect to the ecliptic plane of the Sun. And so these harmonious conditions stemming from a vertical Earth where everything is in balance with equal day and night and temperate springtime weather would be seen as preferential to the conditions arising from a tilted Earth, which mm-hmm. would be seen as, which would be seen, seen as disar- disharmonious and out of balance with the deathly interval of winter being another negative factor. Mm-hmm. So, I have to stop you again, I'm afraid we have another break coming up. Sure, but this is really interesting, though, Paul, so I'm going to continue. Oh, no, we'll continue after the break, right. Uh, you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on CBS New Sky Radio and NewSkyRadio.com. Stay with us, and our guest, Gary Osborne, will be right back. Thursday is a power-packed day here on the sky. Join us at noon for the I'm Thankful Network. At 1 p.m., it's the Dr. Pat Show. At 4 p.m., Colette Baron reed takes the stage for the Colette Baron reed Show. The Colette Baron reed Show, where intuition, practical spirituality, great advice, a little woo-woo fun, and fabulosity meet. Colette Baron reed is an internationally renowned intuitive counselor, educator, and best-selling author who helps others recognize and connect with their own intuition, potential, and purpose. Powerful motivational speaker, charismatic broadcast personality, and acclaimed performer, storyteller, and recording artist, Colette uses her extraordinary spiritual gifts to empower her clients to live a life that is awake and authentic, and to create a reality that is spiritual, deliberate, and meaningful. Call in early. The lines are hot. 248-545-7685. Instant feedback at NewSkyRadio.com. New Sky Radio. NewSkyRadio.com. New Horizons, no boundaries. Powered by CBS, Yahoo, and Radio.com. 
Psychic Radio is now CBS Radio's The Sky. Back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Call now. 248-545-SOL. NewSkyRadio.com. And we are back with our guest Gary Osborne. And let's, let's Gary, take it away. We're talking about a very uh, particularly important point regarding the tilt of the Earth. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, so... Um, the tilted Earth would later be viewed as a reflection of everything that is wrong with the world, you know, a kind of imbalance in human consciousness. So this is the overall view that I, I interpreted from the Arcadian paintings featured in the book The Holy Blood and the Holy Grail. Oh, yeah. um, especially those by the artists Gassino and Pizarre. And as I relate later, the name Arcadia appears to have been a code name associated with this heavenly uh, realm of an upright Earth and straight vertical axis. Um, I'm not, it's not saying that the Earth was actually upright at one time, but there seems to be a belief that it once was or that it should be. You know, that, that should, that's the ideal situation. Because um, everything being in balance and everything being equal, you know, equal day and night and, mm-hmm. you know, temperate weather. Um, so, therefore, an upright Earth, if it was once a reality or not, would have been viewed as the ideal situation with everything being balanced and in every way we reduce a term. So... Um, it stands to reason that the Earth with its vertical axis would be seen as having a direct line or connection to heaven and God, um, the source centre of creation. Uh, and if so, and if the Earth was indeed upright at one time, then we can see that with the tilt of the Earth, which could possibly have been the result of a global catastrophe from some external celestial body or other force of nature, yeah. found that this direct line was severed and man fell into the cycles of time with death as part of the cycle, you know, the winter season. And I mean this in that it was symbolically viewed that way. Perhaps this might be what the fall of man from the Garden of Eden really means. Perhaps, yeah. Um, So, anyway, going on, um, you see, when you you look at the Gospels, um, earlier we were talking about the Jed being raised upright. Um, Before his crucifixion on the way to the hill of Golgotha, the place of the skull, uh, Christ carries the tilted cross on his back. And, it is, and he is then raised upright with the cross at Easter, being the first full moon after the spring equinox. And from this upright position, which symbolises that direct connection with the Father of God in heaven, the source of creation, he can then enter the heavenly kingdom. So you can see that the, um, the cross being raised upright, uh, when he carries on his back, being raised upright, is the same kind of thing you have with the Jed column being raised upright, with the Egyptians, you know, the Egyptian ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, the, and the Jed being the, back, uh, the backbone of Osiris. Um, I mean, it's a fact that we find numerous paintings of Jesus, and mostly from the 17th century, carrying the tilted cross at 23 or 23.5 degrees. Again, the same obliquity tilt angle of the earth. Um, you, think, you think it's deliberate by the artist? Yeah, I was going to ask that. Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is something that I've been working on. And, I mean, 10 years ago, I started finding all these uh, references to the earth's axis angle in all these paintings. Uh, mostly from the 17th century, and I mean that's that's that. Deal, I mean the first chapter of the new book deals deals with those references in the paintings. Uh, all have been encoded with the Earth's axis angle. Um, but then I found later that the um, the Great Pyramid actually has the same angle within its angle geometry, the Earth's axis angle, um, and that there are actually references in the same painting uh, paintings where this 23.5 axis angle is. Uh, references made to the Great Pyramid as well. Um, and I thought, well... That does you know, seem to be beyond coincidence that it would be that, that, that precise angle. Oh, yeah, sure. In I all mean, these I, cases. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I was thinking, so what's it, what, what is this connection between the Earth's axis angle and um, the Great Pyramid? Um, and I mean, when you look at the, uh, the $1 bill, you, you know, the, uh, the, the Great Seal... Yeah. Uh, with a pyramid in the eye, uh, in the capstone. Right. Um, you find that the right side of the pyramid is angled at 23.5, the same as the Earth's axis. And, I mean, this is not just a one-off. Um, when you look, there's, there's also Masonic, um, a, sort of a Masonic emblem, which is almost the same with this kind of pyramid uh, with the right side angled at 23.5 degrees. So it's a regular thing. And you find this time and time again, um, encoded in, in paintings and other sources throughout history, the Earth's axis angle, but with a reference also to the Great Pyramid of Giza. 
Okay, I'm afraid we're out of time, Gary. This is absolutely well. This is the first of many shows I can feel it. Uh, so tell us once again, just very briefly, about your website and uh, the newest book. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I've actually got two websites, but the uh, the main website, um, I'll give you that address. It's uh, GaryOsborne.moonfruit.com. Um, uh, the book out at the moment is The Geezer Prophecy. It's been published by Inner Traditions. It's a co-authored with um, Scott Crichton. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe he's going to be a, a guest on your show soon. Absolutely, yes. Uh, I, don't have a, I don't know if we've booked him yet, but it's going to be within the next uh, month or two, certainly. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, yeah, that's basically... Okay. Very good. Gary, uh, we love you. You're great. And thank you so much for being on with us. We'll be um, having you again uh, very soon. And uh, look forward, hopefully, to meeting you in September. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks, Ben. Thank you very much. Very good, then. Okay, everybody. Gary Osborne. Okay, uh, Ben and I are about to begin a series of presentations in informal town hall meetings, or town hall-style meetings in areas where we suspect that unusually widespread paranormal activities occurring. This is part of our master plan to kind of find out what's going on here. Uh, the first of these will be at the Kellogg Hubbard Library in Montpelier, Vermont, on Saturday, May 5th. So if you live in uh, northern New England or southern Quebec or western New York, you might want to Stop by and uh, certainly meet us and participate in this uh, lively two-hour situation we're going to have here, and it's going to be 10.30 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Uh, in the 10.30, of course, um, a little bit early, but uh, I'm sure you can manage. If you live in, uh, again, those areas, uh, stop by and see us, and we will be available for some uh, private consultations, and we are working a very interesting case in that area. Uh, if you live in southeastern New England, Ben and I are teaching a course uh, once again at the Learning Connection in Providence, Rhode Island, Exploring the Paranormal. And the next session begins Saturday, April 14th, 1 to 3 p.m., five weeks. includes two field trips, and it's very interesting. Check it out at southcoastlearning.org. So I wanted to remind you, too, you can get my books on Barnes & Noble Nook, uh, e-reader, and Kindle. And the, the book uh, the most, that's been most popular in my career Footsteps in the Attic has been reprinted and is ready to go. So check out the areas where it's sold. Of course, Amazon.com, BehindTheParanormal.com, our website, and any other place where books are sold. So many thanks to our producer, Will Kosnick, and we will see you next Sunday, April 8th, when my dad and I will welcome Iroquois author and healer Michael Bastine for the look at or for a look at the Native Americans and the paranormal. In the meantime, tune into our Boston Providence Drive Time Show on WON 1240 AM and ONWorldwide.com at 6 p.m. Eastern Time every Monday. You can always get free podcasts of all our shows along with show schedules and guest information at www.behindtheparanormal.com. And we leave you with an interesting thought from the 20th century advice columnist Abigail Van Buren of Dear Abby fame. Quote, the best index to a person's character is how he treats people who can't do him any good and how he treats people who can't fight back, unquote. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey, and we will see you next time.